A common scene in technology companies everywhere. Big conference table with the CTO on one end, developer teams on the other, the showdown. We have an idea, will it get funded? More companies are feeling the pressure to go faster and stay ahead of the competition. Projects that have long timelines or no immediate impact are hard to justify. Datastax is sponsoring a contest with real projects, real money, and real CTOs. If you have a Kubernetes project that needs a database, the winner will get funded with a free year of Datastax Astra. Follow the link in the podcast description to submit your project. It's time to impress the CTO and get your project funded. Eyes glazed over from debugging a remote Kubernetes service? Instead, run your service locally in your favorite debugger and instantly find the problem. Ambassador Telepresence is the easiest way to debug microservices on Kubernetes. Spend more time fixing problems instead of reproducing them. Ambassador Telepresence is free to use for teams with unlimited developers. Get started today at getambassador.io slash devdiscuss. Educative.io is a hands-on learning platform for software developers. Learn anything from Rust to system design without the hassle of setup or videos. Text-based courses let you easily skim back and forth like a book, while cloud-based developer environments let you get your hands dirty without fiddling with an IDE. Take your skills to the next level. Visit educative.io slash devdiscuss today to get a free preview and 10% off an annual subscription. Get ready to level up at New Relic's virtual event, FutureStack 2021, held May 25th through the 27th. Join your fellow data nerds from around the world to learn, inspire, and rack up experience in 50 interactive sessions, 12 hands-on labs, and a 24-hour hackathon. FutureStack is your cheat code for observability. Engineers from across the industry will lead you through topics like Kubernetes, DevOps strategies, and observability. Then join us to relax with some Minecraft on Nerd Island. Registration is free at futurestack.com. Game on. PHP is one of those beautiful languages where it's easy to get started. And because it's easy to get started, it's also easy to make a ton of mistakes as you're building something up. PHP does get a lot of shit. Welcome to Dev Discuss, the show where we cover the burning topics that impact all our lives as developers. I'm Ben Halpern, co-founder of Dev. And I'm Jess Lee, also co-founder of Dev. Today we're talking about your least favorite things about your favorite language. We're joined by Adi Asmani, engineering manager at Google, and Ridwana Khan, senior software engineer at Dev. Thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us. So Adi, before we start tearing apart our beloved programming languages, would you like to tell us a little bit about your coding background and what you do professionally? Sure, sure. At different points in my career, I've kind of referred to myself as a JavaScript janitor. But <laughs> my, my title at Google is I'm, I'm an engineering manager. Uh, most of the work that my team does is in the developer tooling um, and measurement space. So we do projects like Lighthouse, PageSpeed Insights. Uh, we work on dev tools, that type of thing. I've used JavaScript for a very long time, got a love-hate relationship with it, but there's a lot to love there. There's a lot that I wish was was better. I'd be suspicious if a JavaScript developer or a programmer of any kind didn't really have a love-hate relationship with their environment or what they deal with every day. Ridvana, will you tell us a little bit about your coding background? 
Yeah, so currently, as you mentioned, I'm a senior software engineer at Dev, but I started in the industry say, around 10 years ago. I worked in corporate for a while. I worked with a couple of startups and around 10 years later, I'm now working at Dev. Awesome. Can you tell us about what you're working on here? Yeah, so I work, of course, it's all open source. So I'm currently working on sort of the community aspect of Dev. Are we working on generalizing the code base? I do a lot of Ruby on the back end. I also do JavaScript. I think throughout my career, I've really done a lot of JavaScript. I think it seems though uh, recently at Dev, I've been focusing a lot more on Ruby, which is also really nice. And it's really awesome to work with you. Adi, what is the language you're going to choose for this discussion? And what are your least favorite things about it? The language I'm going to choose for this discussion, perhaps unsurprisingly, is JavaScript. And there's a long list of things that I, I feel could be better in there. An overarching theme is that JavaScript could be a lot more opinionated. Lots of feels about things like null and undefined, const and let, and then just the kind of lack of a standard library in JavaScript and whether or not we should have one. Those are some of the things off the top of my head that I'd, I'd love to chat about. Yeah, can you talk about the issues with it not being opinionated? And do you see any sort of resolution to that? Or is that inherent to the language? So I, I think JavaScript could be more opinionated. Doing so is inherently difficult for a language because opinions can have very long-lasting effects. And you can make an argument that if you give developers a strong enough foundation with a language, they can hopefully build their own opinions on top of it for their own projects. Now, the, the kind of lack of opinion in JavaScript has, uh, has caused us a few interesting challenges over the years. I think one of them that's pretty common is the inconsistencies in how folks approach things like null and undefined. In theory, null and undefined map pretty clearly to the concept of known knowns, known unknowns, so null, and then unknown unknowns, so undefined. And a challenge there is people keep using null and undefined pretty inconsistently. That type of thing complicates input validation. Nobody knows really what you should use where. Sometimes people will use undefined to represent the implicit absence of a value. Sometimes they'll use null to specify, you know, that a variable is defined, but it's not usable. And there's been a bit of a, a recent call from well-known people in the in the community, folks like, you know, Cindersaurus, Crockford, maybe even Brendan Ike, suggesting that you should be using undefined instead of null. Some people have suggested, you know, we can't really get rid of problems in the language like null. And so maybe we should just pretend that they don't exist at all. And then other people feel that, you know, they're they're semantically different enough that maybe it's fine that these these two concepts that are kind of similar should just continue to coexist. But in the absence of having, you know, agreements on things like this, it just means that especially for beginners, they're, they're going to be just as lost as the rest of us were when we first decided what, what should we use where. And I wish that the language could get a little bit more opinionated with saying, you know, here's where you should use this and here, here's where you should use that. You could probably say the same thing for other things. So like constant let. Some people feel that there's just way too much cognitive overhead to constantly being, you know, thinking about which one to use. And maybe it's not worth it, you know, having to make that decision on, on each project. What I personally do for constant let is that I use const kind of for top level module scope constants. 
I otherwise use let for a lot of things. But it's another case of where, you know, you, you end up requiring a team or a company to make a decision about what to use. And people will, will like bicker and argue for what their preferences are about constant let, leading to, you know, another place where language could be a little bit more opinionated. What are uh, some languages that contrast to JavaScript in this way? I think that there are languages that try to think about how, you know, maybe we can simplify the differences between null and undefined. I'm not sure to what extent it solves this well, but I'm a big fan of Elm. If you're into functional languages, Elm kind of compiles to JavaScript. It tries to have like no runtime exceptions. So ideally, like no null and no undefined is not a function. Uses type inference to, to detect corner cases. But I feel like this is one of those places where the language, like in general, could just say, well, just use undefined and, and that's it. We're not, we're not going to make you have to choose. Ridwana, would you say your favorite language is JavaScript? Yeah, definitely. I absolutely love working with JavaScript. What are your feelings on JavaScript being more or less opinionated? Um, I, I definitely agree with Adi. And I think that JavaScript could be a little bit more opinionated. I mean, I have a love-hate relationship with JavaScript. Just because JavaScript itself isn't opinionated, I think there's a lot of libraries and frameworks that have come out of it in order to make it a little bit more opinionated. And that gives developers so many options. And whilst that's a really good thing, I love a lot of options. It sometimes gives me paralysis when I'm like trying to just build something new. I'm so focused on what to use instead of actually just building it out in, for instance, just vanilla JS or something. It's just because there's so many options that have come around because JavaScript isn't very opinionated. I also think that a lot of developers, especially new developers, find it really easy to get started with JavaScript. It's very flexible, very versatile. It's easy to get up and running. And so you can hack something together really, really quickly, more so than with other languages that I've worked with. But I find that when you're hacking these things together, it can easily become spaghetti code. It can be unmaintainable and fragile because the bad practices are not really defined by JavaScript, but again, it's sort of defined by this complementary tooling. So like things like bringing in linters like JSHint or ESLint and things that allow you to flag bad practices and customize it to be more strict to more relaxed. So again, you're sort of catering with other tools in order to sort of deflect from our JavaScript's unopinionatedness. All right, great. So we can say two for two on people whose favorite language is JavaScript. <laughs> and how much they hate it, or however strongly they want to express their dislikes. Adi, are there any other things that bug you about JavaScript? I was working on some tooling this last week. I needed a quick utility. I needed to, to debounce a function. And as anybody, I, I went straight for Lodash and was using it. But it reminded me that you know there, there are still open questions about whether or not Programming languages, uh, JavaScript specifically, should have something like a standard library. We do have a little bit of a standard library in JavaScript. It's it's just very small. We have things like you know the date object. We have uh, regex as well, but nothing that would necessarily replace you know a full utility library like Lodash. And I guess that there there are questions about you know should TC thirty nine should JavaScript be building something baked in here? Should we be looking to standardize existing libraries and put them uh, into the platform, given that they've 
you know, got confirmed adoption and are generally pretty ergonomic. It's a tough problem and, a and an interesting discussion to have because the lack of a standard library in the language, you know, you could argue that it's one of the, the things that have helped drive so much innovation in the JavaScript community. And even if TC39 was to look at, you know, trying to spec out, you know, utilities for the most common patterns, it, it would probably have to stay relatively small and, and be focused on things that make sense across all of the environments where JavaScript's being used without polluting the global namespace too much. I personally still get like a lot of value out of things like Lodash, and I'm sure that it's not the last of its kind that we're going to see. You know, there's going to be plenty more Lodashes in the future. Lots of, you know, collections of nice functional operators and things like that. It's a tricky thing to balance. I'm hopeful that we can at least evolve the language to a point where, uh, you know, at least some of the most common utilities could be potentially baked in. I don't know. Is, is Lodash something that Dev.2 use? What, what do you all do about utilities? We tend to use the, you know, minimum amount of utility libraries we can just so that we can send fewer bytes across the network, like in order to render our basic functionality. So we're sort of like painfully under tooled in some ways, but we sort of make the choices to go sort of bare bones where we can, even if it means not including like simple libraries. And that doesn't mean that Lodash would specifically cause a problem, but I think we have this like culture of just kind of doing things the hard way in some ways. And to that point, I'm wondering how you feel about how the JavaScript language and the bundle sizes and things like that sort of play off one another and, and whether the language as it is now is sort of hurting that, that battle. Yeah. I think that whenever, you know, we're, we're building web applications today, we're taking small Lego bricks out of the ecosystem. We're trying to put together as many of them as we can. And ultimately, unless you have something that's, you know, giving you guardrails or checks and balances, whether that's your framework or your linter or other tooling, you can easily end up with a crazy megazord's worth of JavaScript and a ton of stuff being shipped down to your users accidentally that that's bloating up the experience. I often see very big popular sites who have got bundled challenges and it's, it's usually not one thing. It's usually, you know, they've added in utility libraries, they added in those one or two things they thought would just, you know, give them the carousel or the modal or whatever UI that they wanted. It's pulled in a ton of different dependencies in its own right. And by the end of it, you, you suddenly have like a megabytes worth of JavaScript compressed being sent down to your users when maybe maybe that's not actually the right thing. And so how do we balance that with the language? I think that in some respects, there are areas where the language has evolved to help us on the web performance front. Something specifically, my, my favorite feature in JavaScript over the last couple of years has probably been dynamic import. So the idea of like being able to import a module on demand or conditionally works great with async await, enables a lot of lazy loading patterns. But I think that we need to take extra care. And when we're adding things to our bundles, you know, to fill in gaps in the language, just sanity check that there is a good correlation between the value of those dependencies and the cost that they're adding to the overall user experience. If it's not benefiting the user experience in some major way, I question whether those dependencies should maybe be replaced with something custom or smaller, or whether those dependencies should maybe be loaded at a more opportune time. Maybe there's more we could be doing in JavaScript as a language here to give you more utilities, but 
more broadly, I, I do think that there's a lot that just culturally we can do about being careful about the things we're adding to our bundles. Going back to the this idea of a standardized library, what are your thoughts on potentially shipping libraries within the browser? Oof, oof. It's an interesting, interesting topic. <laughs> Every year, someone will propose, you know, hey, maybe maybe we should take the top 10 or the top 100 JavaScript libraries and just ship them with the browser. I think at the moment, I believe Mozilla might have a proposal that's that's thinking about this space, uh, Chrome are collaborating on it as well. There are some interesting challenges around the idea of baking libraries into the browser. The first big one is how do you tackle things like versioning? If I ship a version of, say, you know, React or Preact or Vue or something like that in the browser, and then suddenly there's a critical security fix or a critical performance fix that comes in a version that's not shipped in the browser, how do you reconcile that, right? Because browsers have their own release cadence and release schedule. Libraries and frameworks have their own one. And we also want to be, you know, relatively cautious about including potential attack vectors accidentally by pulling in these libraries. The other interesting ecosystem aspect of uh, including libraries in the browser is if we pull in the top 100 libraries that are popular today, do we give some level of favoritism to what is popular today versus what could be a really innovative solution that comes out next week, but doesn't have the same benefits of being locally cached and easily accessible. There's a, a little bit of nuance to the idea of shipping libraries in the browser that I think we need to, to think through. I personally think that there are opportunities for us to look at adding in at least more functionality into either the language or bringing in a finite set of small modules into the browser that do very common things. So like some maybe some of the things that, that a Lodash does. But we do need to be cautious about not stifling innovation when we explore these ideas. Sick of your laptop overheating every time you try to run your Kubernetes application locally? With Ambassador Telepresence, you can intercept your services on your local machine so that you can develop on your services as if your laptop was running in the cluster. Never worry about running out of memory again, no matter how complex your Kubernetes application gets. Ambassador Telepresence is free to use for teams with unlimited developers. Get started today at getambassador.io slash devdiscuss. New Relic's application monitoring platform gives you detailed performance metrics for every aspect of your software environment. Manage application performance in real time, troubleshoot problems in your stack, and move beyond traditional monitoring with New Relic 1, your complete software observability solution. Get started for free at developer.newrelic.com. To connect with the team behind New Relic directly, join the Relicans. The Relicans is a new community hub designed to help developers create cool projects, inspire one another, level up, and learn in public. You can start a discussion about your favorite programming language, ask a question about software observability, share a tutorial, and lots more. Join today at therelicans.com. Ridwana, is there anything else that bugs you about JavaScript? I'm particularly related to what Ari said about uh, shopping too many libraries with your code. At Dev, you're right, we're very particular about what we ship because we're very conscious about 
how big we want our application to be and sort of performance and optimizations. So one of the things that I didn't mention earlier is I'm actually based in South Africa. And so I found that when applications are built without like performance in mind and when they're shipping too many JavaScript packages, it really is to the detriment of African countries because you'd find that most people within Africa, a large population of at least South Africa, doesn't have a good infrastructure and it's lacking in under-resourced communities. We don't have constant access to high-quality internet. We use 3G or 2G networks. And then also we need to take into consideration that a lot of our, the smartphones that are used in Africa are actually not smartphones, sorry, they're feature phones. And so they don't have a very good CPUs. And also data costs are just really high here. So even though our earnings compared to a place like the U.S., uh, we earn less than 50% as compared to employees in the U.S. Our data costs actually are sort of on par with the U.S. and Canada and China, so about $10 per gig. So I find that if we're not thoughtful about the packages that we ship with our applications, we find that it really impacts users in under-resourced communities. So I'm actually like really passionate about that topic and about how we should build our applications in a thoughtful manner. Yeah, plus 1,000 on that. I think that it's useful to remind folks that today there are really like two major costs when it comes to shipping JavaScript down. There's download costs of your bundles, and then there's the JavaScript execution time that can be important for phones that have very slow CPUs. You know, there's there are a lot of things that a slow phone can be impacted by, thermal throttling, disparities in just the performance of high-end devices that, you know, will sometimes be developing on versus low-end ones that our users have. And so we really do need to encourage our communities to look at how we can keep JavaScript bundles small, especially for those low-end devices in countries where, you know, you don't always have the best CPUs, improve your execution time, avoid any long JavaScript tasks and work that keep the main thread busy. I'd love to get to a place where, you know, maybe in at least some of our frameworks, we can enable progressive delivery of JavaScript in a little bit more of an automated way so that we can still be able to build relatively complex UIs and only load and execute code when it's needed in an automated way but definitely a lot more that we could be doing here. Ben, what is your favorite language? Yeah, I really have a hard time not saying Ruby because, you know, a favorite language is just, it's kind of arbitrary. I certainly value the power of what I can do with JavaScript. And if I were to maybe have to forget a language, I probably wouldn't mind forgetting Ruby. But we chose Ruby for our framework. And long before that, I'd kind of become a, one of these Ruby fans. And so my favorite things about Ruby are, you know, the simplicity of spinning something up, like just how in JavaScript it runs in the browser and it's pretty easy to get going. In Ruby, it's really easy to spin up a REPL and just kind of hack with it and, and get things done. And that's a lot of fun. My least favorite thing about the language is probably that it's just kind of oversimplistic when you really need it to do something more interesting for you. The lack of any sort of asynchronous programming seems kind of like Stone Age when we're when you look at JavaScript or like pretty much anything else in programming. I love that it sort of forces you to dumb things down a little bit and then gives you abilities to do fun and interesting things with like other, you know, monkey patching and things which can can lead to some really 
cool programs and certainly it's uh, easy to express what you think into code pretty quickly. But compared to a JavaScript, which has a little bit of this like built-in chaos with a lot more powerful sort of features and, and environment stuff, like Ruby doesn't really bring a lot to the table um, in power. Everything good about it is kind of in its syntax and its delightful care that's taken for the language, but definitely can kind of complain that like it's just not that powerful and it's kind of easy to stub your toe at the same time. So sort of worst of both worlds sometimes, even though it is my favorite language. So Jess, what's your favorite language? So I've been dreading this question. Um, I knew it, was, it would come to me, but my favorite language is Ruby. And that's really only because that's what I'm most familiar with. And it's easy to like something that you feel like you're pretty good at. The other language that I write in more frequently is JavaScript, but I always kind of dread writing in JavaScript, especially if I've been spending more time on the back end, which is why I'm leaning towards Ruby. And I think JavaScript, because you really do have to be a little bit more deliberate in making your decisions. Like like we've discussed, um, I think Ruby just is easier for somebody who doesn't code day to day. And yeah, on that note, I don't feel like I code enough to have certain gripes about it, but it's very interesting hearing the details and what you would all like to see improved in your favorite languages. Yeah, I think when you do almost all your programming in one language, and that was the first language you were taught, you sort of just code in that language. And it's kind of like a great place to be. If anything, I loved Ruby so much more when I was doing like only Ruby programming, because you start sort of not complaining, oh, yeah, it doesn't have this, it doesn't have that. Yeah, you get used to it. And then like the learning curve on like if it's a if you have a side project you really want to dive into you, and you want to make it work, then you're going to gravitate towards the language you're more comfortable with. And then it, it can just be a little difficult to learn a new language sometimes. I have read about people who try and learn like at least two new languages every year, but that's just not in my personality. I find that when I'm I swap between Ruby and JavaScript pretty often because mm -hmm. I mean at dev I'm writing a lot of Ruby, but Usually on my like side projects, I use a lot of JavaScript and I'm constantly writing console.log in Ruby and it's so <laughs> annoying. <laughs> I, I'm constantly like mixing up the debugging techniques between languages. I think if I stuck with one language more, I'd be more familiar with the debugging tools in general. I think like that's the problem with like any debugging tools. I find like they're the easiest thing to kind of forget across environments. So you sort of, I wind up sticking to console log or put statements or whatever in whatever whatever the equivalent is in whatever language i just like i can't find myself adopting um complicated debugging tools like if i'm moving from thing to thing well given that there are flaws in both the favorite languages here javascript and ruby adi and radwana if you could create the perfect language what would that be like well, one of the things I'm thankful for in the JavaScript ecosystem right now is that we have things like TypeScript that can experiment with, you know, ideas around supporting concepts for code complexity in large projects. And I'm kind of curious, you know, uh, over, over time, how much we're going to see the ideas from TypeScript fold their way back into JavaScript and, and whether or not they should. Because for, for me, some, some of that could be ideal. So, Things that I, I find in TypeScript being interesting are its support for 
static analysis based on the structure of your code, the type annotations support is great. I kind of like the idea of errors being findable and correctable during compile time uh, instead of just errors being found during runtime with JavaScript. I like some of the ideas around, you know, TypeScript supporting strong typing, both with, you know, static and dynamic typing. Some of the things I, I like less on that front are like the need for strong, so much tooling. Like ideally you, you wouldn't need a compiler or to deal so much with type definition files and, and that type of thing. Maybe my ideal would be a language that includes some of the features that TypeScript currently gives you. So from my side, I think that I would use JavaScript as like the base foundation of this new language and then start removing things or putting in things. So all the things I dislike about JavaScript, I'd essentially take out. So for instance, as Adi mentioned, like the fact that it's a weekly type with aggressive coercion, like TypeScript sort of counters that a little bit where we can sort of, we can use TypeScript to be able to write code that's easier to read and just a little bit easier to navigate. I'd also, I'd wish my language would have, I would be able to execute across all browsers without having to have these little quirks for each browser. So currently, I mean, with JavaScript, you build something and you realize that it doesn't work in browsers because you've got to check if that web API actually works in certain browsers. So I just wish this new language would work across all browsers without me having to actually check whether it does or not. Since this is my fantasy language, <laughs> I'm allowed to sort of add whatever I want to. <laughs> I get the syntax to look a lot like Ruby. I do like Ruby syntax. It looks a lot cleaner. There's no curly brackets, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> I really like, like the debugging tools that JavaScript comes with. So I definitely keep that. Also, like Adi mentioned, that JavaScript does have a, have a habit of failing silently at runtime because of syntactic errors. But sort of having it a little bit, sort of having a compile time around would mean that we'd catch those errors much earlier. Yeah, I'd keep the flexibility of JavaScript whilst adding a couple of libraries that I believe are sort of commonly used ones. I think that will be my fantasy language. Awesome. So I don't think I'm very good at answering this in a really practical way, but somehow the language lets me write my whole program in one file, no matter what, in, in a way that doesn't break everything. So that's one thing. I don't know how that works, but I would love the idea to just open a file and go, even if I have to use command F or something, I don't know, like something like that, one file. And then, of course, it's going to have to work without an IDE. But, you know, so long as we're building these really cool editors, I think it would be awesome if the program could like automatically express itself in really bold and outrageous ways within my IDE. So like it would have big screaming gifs at me when things are going wrong. Like <laughs> I want a programming language that treats me like a human in some way and like in its outrageousness and, and all is in one file. And I probably want no dependencies somehow. So I'm just kind of railing on my completely impossible programming language, but it, it would, I think, be like a more um, tactile environment. I really like the idea of having GIFs on my editor screaming at me. That sounds like the perfect thing ever. Yeah, just like, this is wrong, and the GIF 
would like express how wrong it is. Like depending on how like bad it is, it would be that much more like the personality would like ramp up to 11, like way quicker if there was a huge problem. But if there was like a small problem, it would just be like a little thing. And maybe what I'm describing is just a different type of linter and it doesn't need to, we don't need a whole new language, which is kind of, you know, <laughs> how these things actually work. And I, I really don't think uh, I'm um, the language is the right way to start something new anyway but maybe i'm asking for a linter that like really really tells me what's going on in a way that's like a little bit more nuanced than just what you can do with text Chances are, like other software developers, you learn better by doing than just watching. Unfortunately, most online learning platforms still have you passively sit through videos instead of actually getting your hands dirty. Educative.io is different. Their courses are interactive and hands-on with live coding environments inside your browser so you can practice as you go. They're also text-based, meaning you can skim back and forth like a book to the parts you're interested in. Step up your learning in 2021. Visit educative.io slash devdiscuss today to get a free preview and 10% off of an annual subscription. A common scene in technology companies everywhere. Big conference table with the CTO on one end, developer teams on the other, the showdown. We have an idea, will it get funded? More companies are feeling the pressure to go faster and stay ahead of the competition. Projects that have long timelines or no immediate impact are hard to justify. Datastax is sponsoring a contest with real projects, real money, and real CTOs. If you have a Kubernetes project that needs a database, the winner will get funded with a free year of Datastax Astra. Follow the link in the podcast description to submit your project. It's time to impress the CTO and get your project funded. Now we're going to move into a segment where we look at the responses that you, the audience, have sent to us to a question we asked in relation to the topic of this episode. The question we asked you all this week was, what is your least favorite thing about your favorite language? Issa responded, I absolutely love, 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 love Ruby, but I'm so tired of all the freaking underscores for snake case. Snake emoji afterwards. <laughs> this is like a funny one because I feel like this is what people love about Ruby. And, and if you don't like snake case, it's kind of a funny thing. But I think it's like just the perfect thing to not love about a programming language because like we do have to stare at these things all the time. And if you find it kind of unpleasant, you sort of aren't going to like it. I know there are a bunch of cases, camel case being another one. What are the other ones again? Uppercase. <laughs> <laughs> And Alistair wrote in, JS is my favorite, but I really dislike the class syntax that was introduced in ES6. The prototype chain is easy to understand and doesn't need to be hidden beneath class, extends, and super, which feels more like Java. You know, I think in particular over the last year or two, we've seen that there are strong preferences in some parts of the community trending towards things like functional programming, React hooks, those, those types of ways of, 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 you know, containerizing functionality. I personally occasionally do still use classes, perhaps less so these days, I'm heavily using ES modules in my own constructs for the most part. I feel like classes are one of those things where, you know, it's okay to still use a lot of the rest of the language without them if you if you don't strongly need them. 
I'll add that I definitely take advantage of the freedom to use like older JavaScript techniques, especially if I'm just hacking away on my own. And maybe that stunts my ability to like actually evolve as a programmer, but I haven't felt compelled to always sort of adopt to sort of the, the new syntax if, if I find it's not really making my code more readable or anything like that. <laughs> All right, I want to jump to this one. Roloff writes that PHP is wonderful and you can quickly get things running. The most recent updates to the language are amazing, and I'm loving all the new things that I can do, like arrow functions, type hinting, and class variables. The one thing that annoys me a lot about PHP is the completely inconsistent names and argument order for built-in functions. And then Roloff gives some examples that are pretty ugly. <laughs> Why does one have underscore and the other one doesn't? It feels like there's a lot of legacy code in there. I love that their favorite language is PHP. I feel like PHP gets so much shit, and I'm I'm just happy that they have a supporter. PHP is one of those beautiful languages where it's easy to get started, and because it's easy to get started, it's also easy to make a ton of mistakes as you're building something up. PHP does get a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah, just this past weekend, I was playing around with like a very simple static site generator. I was sort of whipping together and I asked for a feedback on like the ideas and someone recommended just doing it in PHP, which is just like not something I thought about because my association with PHP is just like the worst stuff ever when I ever did it, which is a, a, a long time ago. But that actually just made me it, it like kind of like it was sort of an aha moment that PHP is actually perfect for that sort of thing. It, it was it's so ready for like basic web stuff and even you know then like if you try to get more complicated or do anything special you're gonna like start hating all the things but in that moment i was like oh wow i love php again it's it's so much more built for this job like which really was what the only thing you were doing on the web 10 or 15 years ago was the stuff php was built to do so jeremy wrote in i love guion but it lacks documentation it lacks a community it could have more libraries. It could be better written. Yep, that language is my main CI project. It is a tool I use for music shows. I'm working on a swig fork right now to address the library problem, and I'm continuously trying to get the code better. The other problem remains unsolved and are definitely the ones I could use a hand on. I'm updating a swig fork to make. Is Guion a language that anyone here has heard of? No. I, I don't think that Guan is a, is a language that Google has heard of because I'm having a very hard time finding it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Google just It's too far ahead here, in the future. Know? This Guan thing is... One of those dark web languages. Arpit writes, I'm one of the few people who actually love Java. It's a solid language that gets the job done. In the recent past, Java has started to incorporate functional paradigms, which is great. Unfortunately, stack traces that used to be effective for debugging are absolutely crap now. Each stack trace is 200 lines of absolute mess with no useful information whatsoever. I miss the good old STFO paradigm. At my previous job, I built an open source Java library and I had not used Java since university. And uh, I had to build the same library in Java and JavaScript. And the one thing that I could not wrap my head around in Java was that JSON wasn't supported by default in the language. <laughs> and you had to pull in this library and it was just so painful to work with. That's like one of my least favorite things. 
I can definitely relate to the idea that if the stack trace isn't giving you any favors, it's like impossible to program. That's kind of how I feel about anything. Like, I kind of rely on some evidence about what I'm doing wrong if I'm doing it wrong. And if I haven't written in Java in quite some time, so I'm taking our pit at their word for it. But if the stack traces are getting worse, the language is probably getting worse. That's definitely uh, one of the number one things a language can do to be pleasant is to is to give good stack traces and good error messages. Well, since we have JavaScript fans here, Omar wrote in, I love JavaScript, but I dislike the fact that it does not support immutability out of the box. Also, I dislike that it doesn't have a proper standard library. <laughs> I, I can empathize entirely on the lack of a standard library. I think that a lot of us are, are you know, jumping for utilities or writing our own custom functions, uh, you know, in the, in the absence of it. So very much empathize with that. Sarah writes in to say, is it bad that I don't have a favorite? No, not at all. It's okay. You're probably in a pretty good place if you love all Earth's programming languages equally. <laughs> Adi and Rinwana. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, this was a blast. More than happy to come on and, and complain about JavaScript anytime. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank everyone who sent in responses. For all of you listening, please be on the lookout for our next question. We'd especially love it if you would dial into our Google Voice. The number is international code 1-929-500-1513. Or you can email us a voice memo so we can hear your responses in your own beautiful voices. This show is produced and mixed by Levi Sharp. Editorial oversight by Peter Frank and Saran Yabarik. Our theme song is by Slow Biz. If you have any questions or comments, please email pod at dev.to and make sure to join our Dev Discuss Twitter chats on Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern. Or if you want to start your own discussion, write a post on dev using the hashtag discuss. Please rate and subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts.